you have God's word in your hand, or perhaps in front of you, turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 23 this morning. This will close out our study of chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And we'll be speaking on the topic, the turning point. The turning point. Uh, here in our text, uh, we'll see that Ruth comes home. This is our uh, the main focus of this passage is Ruth re return and all that takes place in her return. And we'll see here in our text, we'll see uh, evidence of Boaz kindness. We'll see that in verse 18. We'll see the significance of Boaz's kindness, verses 19 through 20. And in verses 21 through 23, we'll see compliance compliance with Boaz's kindness. Again, this is God's word. Follow along as I read God's holy word. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, least in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Mother this is God's holy word. A turning point. A turning point. The turning point I'm talking about is a turning point when God enables the light of his grace to shine through the darkness, whether darkness in us or darkness surrounding us. God allows the light of his grace 
to turn on and we see it and we change either our attitude or our behavior, the direction we're going, there's a change. We, we may change from, uh, from being sad to being joyous. And we'll see that in our text today. But it, a turnaround, a turnaround, a turning point. We see many turning points in Scripture. Joseph had a turning point. He was uh, before his brothers, and they came to him. And Joseph said in Genesis 5, uh, 50 and 20, he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. David had a turning point. In Psalm 51 and 4, David had sinned and after being convicted of his sin, he said, against you alone, talking about God, against you alone have I sinned. Psalm 51 and 4. Job had a turning point in all his suffering and all of his loss. Job, because God turned the lights on, in his heart, Job said in Job 42, verse 5, I heard of you, talking of God, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Saul of Tarsus had a turning point in his life. Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 5. It's it in uh, the that chapter begins with uh, Saul of Tarsus going and he's uh, uh, hurling threats and he's gone before the 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 I believe the Sanhedrin to get letters to persecute the Christians and on the on on the way uh, on the way to persecute Christians on the road of Damascus. The light of Christ was turned. And he fell to the ground. It said in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. A turning point. A turning point, going in one direction, turning back to another, thinking one thing, now thinking another. And, 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 and God must do this. God must open our eyes, your eyes. He, he must do it here today. He must open, if, you're, if you glean any truth, from the scripture, it's because God opened your eyes. It ain't got nothing to do with your goodness. I'm so 
studious, God must open your eyes. God opened your eyes of faith to discern his work and see his truth. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verses 17 and 18. He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 18, open my eyes. That's a prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Did you pray that today? God, if you haven't prayed now, God, open my eyes so I may see the wondrous things that you have that you have given, that you have said in your word. Open my eyes to them so that I may see it. The psalmist asked God to open his eyes so that he see the wonder, the wonders of his law. And, and if he see the wonders of his law, he see the wonders of the law giver. <laughs> He's asking for his eyes of faith to be open. We can read and know many biblical facts. We may even follow God's commands but without the Spirit's help. We will know, but not understand. There are people who know. I've met people who knew the scripture. You can, you, you, you can bring up a verse, they know where it's at. Boom. But they don't understand it. They don't understand. They don't see. And because they don't see, there's no joy. There's no peace. There is no ambition to live for God. So we need the Spirit's help to open our understanding so that we can see and that we can, if we're uh, walking in a path that is not pleasing to God, that we can turn and follow him. Naomi encounters a turning point. She encounters a turning point where Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, opens her eyes to see his goodness, which gives her joy and hope. So let's look at our text. Let's look at our text. Ruth returns home and see this turning point of Naomi. Ruth returns home. And here we'll see evidence of Boaz's kindness in verse number 18. Look at verse 18 with me. Notice it says, and she took it up and went into the city. What is the it? We discussed last week how Ruth gleaned in Boaz's field. And remember that not only did Boaz open up his field for Ruth to glean, but he provided above and beyond what was required by law. Remember, Boaz told his workers to take 
from the sheaves that they were gathering and dropped some of the grain on the ground and so that Ruth could not only glean, but she could follow behind and, and pick up what they were dropping. And remember that after Ruth had picked up and gleaned and, and, and she's been blessed by Boaz, she goes and verse 17 says she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. About some differ, about 30 to 40 pounds worth of barley. This is where we pick up today. She took it. 30 pounds, 30 to 40 pounds of barley, like a sack of dog food. I remember my dad, we had dogs, we had hound dogs. And my daddy would buy a big sack of food. And he was like, boy, go out there in the car and get that sack of food. About 30, I'll say about 20 pounds. I ain't going to exaggerate like that. It was about 20 pounds. And it was heavy. Picking it up, throw it on my back. Here's a young woman. We don't, we're not told how big she is. A young woman. And she took it up intentionally, took this 30 to 40 pounds, whatever she had it in, contained a barley. Perhaps she put it on her head so she can carry it. Uh, the women back then did that. They still do it in some parts of the country. Put it on her head, perhaps. And, and she carried it. She picked it up, carried this 30 pounds of barley. She had gleaned and she traveled home. Notice it doesn't say she had any help. She didn't have a donkey. She didn't have men helping her. She did this. She traveled home with this 30 pounds of barley. And not only did she go to, back to Bethlehem, and probably it was uphill. She had to go uphill with this. So she took it and went into the city, into Bethlehem. And then it says, notice, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So here it is, this young woman traveling with this 30 pounds, at least, of barley in one hand <laughs> and her lunch that she had left over in the other hand. Even though Ruth had been working hard all day, picture, she's been working hard all day gleaning in Boaz's field. She's, she's dragging home this 30 pounds of barley She's bringing home this, this meal and she's bringing it home for the sake of Naomi. She's, she's doing all of this for the sake of her mother-in-law. Ruth ensured that her mother-in-law was cared for. She barley, what was left over for lunch, she brought it out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She brought out the, remember it was roasted grain, the roasted grain that she had left over and she gave it to Naomi. And what we see here 
is Ruth's selfless nature, putting the cares and the concerns of others above that of our own. She put action to her words. And just a side note, you know, this, this, is, this is a truth that we as children who still have parents, we should take note of this, how Ruth cared for her mother-in-law. And as we can, those of us who still have our parents living, we should be striving to do what we can to ensure that they are taken care of. That's, uh, I believe that honors, honors them. And so here it is, Ruth honoring Naomi, her mother, not her mother, but her mother-in-law, and caring for her by providing. This, I, she was probably sitting there eating, thinking about Naomi. And, and remember something about what she has brought back, this roasted grain. Uh, she, she, this was provided to her, this lunch was provided to her by the very hands of Boaz. It was Boaz who served Ruth this lunch. So in a sense, Naomi is being blessed by Boaz. And in a sense, what we see here is God's graciousness to Ruth, it is overflowing from her life into somebody else's life. Being instruments, being an instrument of God's grace. Boaz is an instrument of God's grace. God wants us to be instruments of his grace, ambassadors for his kingdom, taking the gospel, taking his word and serving others from the grace that we ourselves have received from God. Ruth is pouring out what she has been given by God and giving it to others. And so Naomi is benefiting from Boaz's kindness. Uh, Stephen David put it this way. He said, the grace of God in Ruth's life has spilled over into Naomi's life. Beloved, can it be said of your life that what God is doing in your life, you understand to the point that what God is doing in your life is not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of others? We see that illustrated here with Ruth. But also see here, we, we see the evidence of Boaz's kindness. So Ruth brings back with her evidence of Boaz's kindness and share it with Naomi. But, but we'll see also the significance of Boaz's kindness. See this in verses 19 through 20. Look at verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, and the author is intentional here. He, he's going to use mother-in-law, daughter-in-law to emphasize 
uh, the relationship. He said, and her mother-in-law said to her, you notice the question, Naomi sees something and it's question after question now, it rolls out of her mouth. She says, where did you glean today? And no, she doesn't give, she doesn't give Ruth time to ask, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? It, I mean, it's rolling out of her mouth. And, and then she, then Naomi bursts forth and invokes God's blessing on the man who favored Ruth. She says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth informs Naomi. Now Ruth informs Naomi. And, 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 and notice the author is setting us up. She don't know who it was that took notice of Ruth. She don't know. She has no idea, but she's blessed him. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth now informs Naomi who the man was who took notice of her. So she, Ruth, told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Oh, here's the turning point. It, the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Upon hearing, it was Boaz. Notice how Naomi responds in verse 20. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi Praises God, praises Yahweh for his goodness. She prayed that he would bless Boaz for his great generosity that he has shown. This is significant because previously, previously, we saw in, uh, in, in Naomi's prayer, in chapter one, verse number eight, Naomi said to Arthur and Ruth, she prayed to Yahweh. She said, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And so this is in chapter one, verse eight. Naomi prayed that the Lord would show his kindness to Orpah and Ruth. Now, Yahweh has answered that prayer. Now, Yahweh has shown kindness to Ruth through Boaz. And he's all, the, the prayer that, that uh, uh, Naomi, uh, that Naomi prays here, God has already answered that prayer because they're benefiting from God's blessing to Boaz. Yahweh is shown kindness to Ruth through Boaz. Yahweh has done this. 
and 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 Yahweh has awakened Naomi to be able to perceive his kindness. This is this is this is Yahweh doing this. Turn to First Kings. Let's make sure that we we put the attention where it needs to be. Boaz, yes, is the instrument through through which God blessed them, but it is Yahweh who is doing the blessing. First Kings chapter eight. This is Solomon dedication of the temple. In First Kings chapter eight, in verse number thirty-five, listen. Listen to Solomon. Verse 35. It says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if the enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made, by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hand toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind and that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house here in heaven, your dwelling place and do do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. This is the dedication of Solomon dedicating the temple. And this is his prayer. But there are some things that are instructive for us in that is that when God's people sin, there comes famine and pestilence. Ruth and Naomi has gone to Bethlehem because of what? There's blessing. There's bread in the house of bread. There's barley. The fields are ripe. They're ready to be gleaned. And why is that? Because God has uh, remembered his covenant faithfulness to his people and he has blessed his people. Obviously, the people have repented. Remember, this is in the time of judges where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And here it is. God has richly blessed the, his people 
in, in Bethlehem and Ruth and Naomi are partaking of those blessings. And here, Naomi recognizes where those blessings come from. Yahweh. It is Yahweh. She perceived that Yahweh is continuing to give to her his covenantal loving kindness. And, and note, this is the first time we read of Naomi praising Yahweh. This is the first time she is praising him and recognizing his covenant faithfulness toward her. When, when, when the last time we heard Naomi speak back in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, you remember that? Re remember what Naomi said about herself and what God was and her perception of what God was doing toward her. Verse 21 of chapter one, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Is she empty? No. She, she, she didn't understand what was going on. She was blinded by her sorrow. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi said she went away full and, the, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. It looks like to me that Yahweh has made a fool. God has blessed her exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that she could ask or think. She's blessed and, and now she is beginning to recognize this is how we are. We can be so blinded by the immediate circumstances that we are in, that we do not see what God is doing in our midst. Can I tell you something? When you go through difficulty, when you go through sorrow, when you go through trial, God does not cease to be sovereign. Can I say that? We forget that. We forget Naomi has lost her husband, her two sons, and yet God reigns. God reigns. He has not ceased to reign. He has not ceased to be faithful to his covenant people. And that would include Naomi. Yes. She has sorrow. Yes, she has experienced loss, but she has something going for her. Yahweh reigns. 
You got to get this. This is not just something for you to know. This is something for you to understand. Job lost his children. That was real. And God opened his understanding in spite of his loss, in spite of his loss, in spite of his infliction, God opened Job's understanding to the real nature of things. <laughs> that he is God. And here it is, Naomi, the turning point. She is beginning to perceive something about Yahweh. That he is still kind to her, even though he has given and he has taken away in her life. Yahweh, uh, Naomi, she says, may he, she, she, she looks and now she, she's, she, she's praising, she's blessing. She's, she's crying out for blessings. She's invoking blessings on others because she is no longer bitter. She no longer sees only calamity. She no longer, this, this Naomi who once complained about Yahweh's treatment of her now praises him for his goodness through the man Boaz. And notice what she goes on and says. She says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is significant because this points to Naomi's understanding not only or perceiving, she's perceiving something that not only will she be blessed, but Elimelech in the coming chapters. Elimelech, even though the Lord has taken his life, Elimelech's line will continue. And this, she says, whose kindness, this word kindness here is the Hebrew word hesed. And this is important because Naomi perceives this. She, she perceives this, this term hesed is, it speaks of God's covenant, covenant, covenant faithfulness and, and his covenant loving kindness. And, and it's, this, this word is, is, is used, again, get it, the, the light is on for Naomi. And she's turning around and she's she's remembering something about the Lord. Exodus uses this word hesed in Exodus 34 and 6, where it said the Lord passed. And, and, and this is before this is Moses and his plea that that God would would show him his glory. And, and it said in Exodus 34 and 6, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow uh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. Steadfast love is the way it's translated in Exodus 34 and 6. It was translated uh, 
the the passage that was read psalm 136 i believe it was last sunday and uh or maybe mark mentioned it but if you read i think it's psalm 136 and it goes uh, again and again and again psalm one matter of fact let me let me make sure let me read it for you psalm 136 i'm not going to read the whole the the whole psalm but just just uh some of it and the word steadfast love here is the word hes it's the same word that ruth uses here the word kindness it, it is hesed it is the god's covenantal loving kindness and psalm 136 if if you have it and let your eyes see in every verse steadfast love is used hesed give thanks to the lord for he is good for his hesed endures forever give thanks to the god of gods for his hesed endures forever give thanks to the lord of lords for his hesed endures forever to him who alone does great wonders his for his hesed love his steadfast love endures forever and he goes on and on and on and he he praises god for his covenantal love and here it is beloved naomi is she's She's been awakened. She's been awakened to this reality. She's been awakened to this reality in the midst of loss and suffering. Lamentations uses this same word, Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says in verse 22, the steadfast love, the hesed of the Lord never ceases his mercy never comes to an end day what his hesed his mercies verse 23 they are new every morning hallelujah hallelujah we could not live without god steadfast love toward us great is your faithfulness. The psalmist in Psalm 23, that psalm we all know about the Lord our shepherd. Psalm 23 verse 6 says this, and surely goodness and mercy, that word mercy is the word hesed, <laughs> shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beloved, the Lord's hesed will never let us go, even in the midst of trial and tragedy. It will never let us go. You're suffering. If you're a believer, God's love, nothing that you go through will separate you from God's love. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this. Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Got to include it. Anything else in all of creation will be able, doesn't have the ability to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. These are things that we need to be firm in because suffering is coming. Loss will come. We need to remember in those times when tears are flowing from our eyes that God's love is still upon us in Christ Jesus. And not only does Naomi recognize God's kindness, she goes on and she excitedly reveals uh, to Ruth who Boaz is. That we know who Boaz is. We got introduced to Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1. But now, Ruth, she didn't know, and she's working for Boaz. Now, Naomi explains to Ruth who Boaz is. Naomi also said to her, notice the text, the man is a close relative of ours. Remember? In chapter, I mean, uh, verse number one, it was revealed to us. It said, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We got introduced to Boaz in chapter two, Ruth chapter two, verse one. And now here it is, the, the, those who are participants in this story, the main participants, Ruth and Naomi now are made aware of Boaz. Naomi said, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Remember that uh, Naomi's husband has died and her two sons have died. And, and what Naomi says here, we need to, to think about because Elimelech has died. This is Naomi's husband and her two sons has died. So there are no other men in the immediate family of Naomi. Uh, Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. We were not told, we weren't told exactly Boaz's position in the family. But here, Naomi knows that he's a close relative. And she knows, being a close relative, that he is, he is a kinsman redeemer. That's what she says, one of our redeemers. It's pointing to the, the, the idea of kinsman redeemer. In this, what is a kinsman redeemer? In Israel, if a man died without having any sons, Elimelech has died, his sons has died, no sons remain. So in Israel, if a man died without having any sons, his family name could pass away from Israel and the family's property could be transferred to another clan. But God made provision for this in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 through 28. And in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10, there, there was a provision in the law that said if a married Israelite man died without sons, the closest unmarried family member, his brother, his uncle, 
or his cousin of the of the deceased man had a responsibility. Uh, they're unmarried, had a responsibility to take his wife, the dead husband, to take his wife and provide a son to carry on the deceased husband's name. And whatever land and whatever land uh, the mother's dead husband had would go to the firstborn son. And this brother would be called a kinsman redeemer. Now we're getting introduced to the good stuff. The author is setting us up. Because not only does Boaz have the, the means, he have the character and he has the status to meet this. Naomi recognizes this. Naomi finally in, 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 in hearing that it was Boaz, she sees God's kindness. And this teaches us, beloved, we we shouldn't get fixated on our circumstances. We must not allow our minds to get stuck on hurt, pain and loss. So that we miss what God is doing. Naomi is unstuck now. I don't know if that's a word, but. She is beginning to see and she's. There, there, she's reached a turning point. She's turning now and seeing God's goodness and praising him again. Notice not only, so this is the significance of Boaz's kindness, the kindness of Boaz, allowing Ruth to glean in his field and blessing Ruth in, in such a way. This, uh, this, this, this is significant because Boaz is kin to Elimelech. Therefore, he is able or fit the qualifications to be the kinsman redeemer. But also notice the compliance with Boaz's kindness in verse 21 through 23. In verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, notice it says Ruth the Moabite. This, this, this play on names, this particularly her name highlights the fact that Ruth is a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. She's an outsider. She is undeserving of the favor she is receiving. And, 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 and not only what we see here, it says Ruth the Moabite, not only has she received favor, there's prospect that she will continue to receive favor if, if she complies with Boaz's instruction. Notice he says, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished. Notice that all my harvest. Boaz requested that Ruth keep close. This is the same word. This, this word is, you could say, cleave or be among. Be close, I should say, be close to my workers, Boaz requested that she keep close to his workers until they have finished harvesting his harvest. She stay close. What is going to happen? 
the work is going to continue to drop blessings. <laughs> They're going to continue to bless her. So he says, stay close to them. And not only will they bless her, they will protect her. This is a, a situation where God is continually setting, he is setting Ruth up for continual blessing, abundant blessing. Have, have that ever, have you ever noticed God doing that in your life? God, have you had a situation in your life where you began to realize that God is bless you and he's bless you in ways that you would have never thought he would bless you? Have, have you had those situations? Ruth is encountering that. She's encountering the God who Ephesians 3 and 20, which I mentioned earlier, he who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. You can't even think of how God can bless you. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. According to his power that works in us, God is able to give you the grace to push through sorrow and suffering because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He's able to provide what is needed to you because he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. This is why prayer is important. Prayer is important because God is able to do exceedingly. And I'm not ashamed to say that. And abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's our God. Why is it that we would not call out to him in prayer for what we need? When his track record has proven to us that he is a good and gracious God who gives good things to his children. And here it is, God working through Boaz, telling Ruth, stay close. Verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, giving her some wisdom. This is the older woman teaching the younger woman. And Naomi said, verse 22, to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter. <laughs> it is good, my daughter. Notice that term of affection. That you go out with his young women, least in another field, you be, be assaulted. Notice that her daughter-in-law, my daughter, these are these are family words of, of, of familial words. These are words of affection. Naomi shows affection to Ruth and concern for Ruth. She's looking out for Ruth's welfare. Because earlier we would have thought that Naomi didn't care for Ruth. But here we see. Naomi cares for Ruth. She not only 
doesn't want Ruth to stray into another man's field. She doesn't want Ruth to put herself in a dangerous situation. This is what the older women teach the younger women, giving them wisdom, helping them to understand what is the safe way. And there's a lot that we can glean from here, from here about relationships. That's for another study. But here, Ruth is being looked out for and cared for by Naomi. Look at verse 23. Ruth obeys Boaz's and Naomi's wisdom. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Ruth followed Naomi's instructions. She heeded Boaz's instructions and she continued and uh, Daniel Block noted uh, the time frame he said this may have been for about six or seven weeks from late April to, to early June and so Ruth continued to work and notice that the last sentence it says and she lived with her mother-in-law we see two things about Ruth here, her steadfast commitment to Naomi and her steadfast commitment to work. That both of those are closed uh, or in this closing right here. And now we're being introduced to what is going to come next. The writer says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What's going to happen? She's living with Naomi. Here is Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. What's going to happen next? The author is building the intensity of the story and preparing us for what comes next. As we close out chapter two here, I just want to point out the fact that Boaz, since he played a significant part in this chapter, Boaz was different from the culture in which he lived. Because the culture in which he lived or the time in which he lived was in the time of judging when people did what was right in their own eyes. And what is Boaz doing? He's doing what is right in God's eyes. And because he's doing what is right in God's eyes, his uh, others are being blessed. Boaz has shown, and, and really Boaz is, he is, a, he is a picture of the character of God. Boaz has shown mercy. He's shown faithfulness. He's shown compassion. He has shown concern. He has shown generosity. And, and, and because of all of this, God enabled Naomi to see his to, to see his goodness, God's good, talking about God's goodness through Boaz's faithfulness. So, so Boaz is a picture of God's gracious character. And, and John Curate said this, he said, Boaz, he says, quote, Boaz echoes God's kindness. He is gracious as God is gracious, end quote. So Boaz in a sense, is a picture of God and, and, and 
his character and, and his goodness and all that he is to his people. He, he illustrates that so that we can come to know something of our God that we serve. And so because God, uh, Boaz is a picture of God, we, we shouldn't stand in amazement of Boaz's example. We should follow it, particularly the men who are here. Men should follow Boaz's example and be the pillar of the families, pillars of the church. But we shouldn't stand in, in, in amazement of him because seeing that Boaz is God's instruments, and in a way, Boaz is a picture of, of God, uh, the character of God, we should be moved to worship God. We, we, we should be moved to, to worship because really Boaz is, is a picture of God and he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, he, he beautifully foreshadows uh, Jesus Christ, sacrificial love for us. Our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Boaz was under no obligation to do what he has done for Ruth. And, and our Lord Jesus Christ was under no obligation to come from heaven, to come down to earth, to die for to live a perfectly righteous life and to die a sacrificial death for you. He had, he wasn't obligated to do that, but he did it. He lived a perfect life and he died a, a death he didn't deserve upon the cross in our place. He, he did that, not out of obligation, but out of love. And it's because of him we have become richly blessed. We become joint heirs of the covenant promises of God. We become fellow citizens of God's kingdom. And 2 Corinthians put it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, for Paul says to the Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You may not be rich physically, but you rich spiritually if you're in Christ. Because of Christ, you have uh, God, uh, Jesus Christ told Paul that. His grace was sufficient. It was sufficient. You have what you need, beloved, if you are in Christ. You're richly blessed if you are in Christ. Don't look to, don't look to nobody else. That'll blind you. Don't look to your circumstances. Don't look, what to, don't look to what you have. Don't compare yourself to others. Look to Christ and ponder and meditate upon his love for you, the depth, the height, and the width of his love. Get to know Christ. Get to know his love for you. Let that saturate your mind, saturate your heart, and the sorrow that you have. 
it'll roll away. It'll roll away. Because then you will begin to realize how amazing God's grace is. It is, it is amazing, beloved. It, it is amazing. And we need God to help us to open our eyes, to see the one of Christ, particularly during this time of season. God opened our eyes to see the wonder of the one who had come to earth and, and came as, 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 as a baby in humility. Can you imagine your God, Jesus Christ, submitting himself to the process of, become, of being a man? What wonder, what love, and, 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 and in all of this, in all that Christ is, Paul says this. He says, we all, when we're saved, we're all with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. So that, why? So that we can not only glorify him, but be a blessing to others. What a good God we serve. What a gracious God we serve. Let us pray. Father, we, we're just often left amazed at just your goodness to us. And even this short book that is found in the Old Testament, this book of Ruth, is an expression of your goodness to us. You have revealed something of your nature and your character that is working behind the scenes in the ordinary lives of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. May we see that. May we, like Job, say, we heard of thee by hearing, but now, our eyes see. Now our spiritual eyes have been opened. The eyes of faith have been opened and we now see you and embrace you for your loving kindness in our lives. We praise you. We thank you. And Father, help us to see this. Help us to see with clarity who you are. You, the, the, in the demands of life, help us to see that your grace and that your grace is sufficient for us to where we will boast about our weakness, that we'll boast in the midst of our sorrow, we'll boast of you and your goodness. And Father, I, I pray that as we help each other during this time, or this season in which we remember 
the birth of Christ. As we help one another, even as in the cookie exchange here this evening, help us to be a benefit to one another, just as Naomi, uh, uh, Boaz was a, a benefit to Ruth and Naomi, and Ruth and Naomi were benefit each other. Help us to be a blessing to one another, not for our sake, but for your sake and for your glory, so that you will be glorified, even as we enjoy the blessings that you have given to us. And Father, may your grace be to all of us as we move toward one another with care and concern. We need your grace. We need the blessings of your grace. Just as uh, Naomi uh, uh, pronounced blessings upon Boaz, we need your blessings in our lives so that we can continue to be blessings to others. Help us, Lord, in all of these things for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.